people think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, today on Kidney Talk, we're going to be talking about a topic that we get a lot of calls about. People don't understand their Medicare benefits. And when you have ESRD and you're eligible for Medicare, you basically, it's, it's wonderful because I had Medicare when I was, you know... 10 years old, 15 years old, you know, at different aspects of my care. Today we have Lucy Kim, who is a licensed clinical social worker at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. And she has been working with transplant and people on dialysis for so long. She's going to help us understand these Medicare, uh, you know, entitlement and what we get and when it ends. So welcome to the show, Lucy. Hi, thank you, Laurie. It's a pleasure to be talking to you today. Oh, well, thank you. So tell us a little bit about, you know, the ESRD Medicare program and when people's kidneys fail, how they qualify for Medicare. When patients are diagnosed with end-stage renal disease and they are at the point where their kidneys are failing and they need to start dialysis, they can be eligible for Medicare, but they have to have paid into the Medicare system. They have to have work history requirements, which means that they have been working, paid into Social Security, and they have to have had a, number, uh, a certain amount of credit. Either you would have to be working or you would have to have a spouse that's been working and paying into Social Security or a dependent child. I know in my case, you know, when I um, first qualified for Medicare, it was through my parents and my dad was a fireman and he had paid in and I was, luckily, I was able to get access to the Medicare program that helped save my life. Yeah, being a dependent child or anybody, that that can link you into eligible for um, Medicare. So when, you know, you start dialysis, you basically, you know, if you qualify for Medicare and you paid into the system, Medicare will pay for your dialysis treatment throughout your care. And it is a little bit of nuance there if you have private insurance and, you know, Medicare might be your secondary. But the, the point that I really want to talk about is when patients get transplanted, because this seems to be where a lot of people don't understand their benefits. Um, can you talk a little bit about what happens when you get transplanted and you have Medicare? Absolutely. Um, when patients have Medicare and they have end-stage renal disease, they're considered disabled. But once you receive a transplant, a kidney transplant, and it's successful, um, and you have normal working kidneys and your kidneys are functioning and healthy, they don't, the Medicare does not consider you disabled anymore. But they will give you a three-year period, which is 36 months, after the transplant, um, they'll keep you on Medicare, but it will end after 36 months. And most people need their Medicare to cover their immunosuppressant medications, which are very costly. So once you lose the Medicare, the health insurance coverage, people are stuck. They can't afford their Medicare, which is 
like I said, very costly. Well, you know, we hear about that a, a lot. I mean, there's a, a bill that was just introduced in the House and Senate to cover the lifetime immunosuppressant drug medications, um, you know, to help people have access to health insurance. Because if you've had Medicare and you've relied on that system, and then after three years of your transplant, it ends, you know, you don't, you can't turn anywhere. And luckily that, you know, healthcare reform is going to allow people to have access to, to health insurance. We don't know what the premiums will be, but, uh, you know, it's getting rid of the pre-existing condition, which is a big win for people with chronic kidney disease. Exactly. It's, I mean, it's very sad to see um, our patients getting trans- having successful transplants, being able to return to work and be independent again. And if they aren't back to work or they don't have any other type of health insurance and they can't afford their medications, they end up losing their transplant. They end up back on dialysis. And, you know, our goal with me, our transplant patients are uh, having working transplanted kidneys for up to 20 years. So if they're not able to afford it after they lose their Medicare, that's only three years of enjoying that transplant. And for a lot of our patients, some of them are waiting on the list for seven, eight years for this opportunity to get a transplant. So it just it doesn't make sense. Transplants last can last up to 10, 15, 20 years. Um, so this uh, new legislation, I think, is a great one. It would cover the cost of the immunosuppressant medications for the life of the kidney transplant. Now, one of the things that I hear from patients, though, is that, you know, having end-stage renal disease and you have a transplant, you basically, the government says that you're no longer disabled. But I run into a lot of people who say, well, I, I still, I have another illness. Um, I have lupus. I have, um, you know, I have arthritis. I'm not able to work. And I tell them, and please let me know if I'm giving the right advice, but they need to be disabled. Probably the nephrologist would not be able to deem them disabled. It would have to be another physician. Is that correct? Oh, that's a good question, Lori. I actually don't know about that. Um, I do know that if you're only receiving Medicare due to end-stage renal disease, that once you get your transplant, it does end after 36 months. If you do have any other type of disease, disability that keeps you from working and your doctor is able to verify that and certify that if you inform Medicare, um, you should be able to be, continue your Medicare, uh, be covered under Medicare um, under that other disability. But I, I think the, the key that you just mentioned was if your Medicare is due to ESRD and not another comorbidity. Um, you have to really take that into consideration when the three years is going to end because it's going to be an uphill battle to say, oh, well, I have another disability. That probably should be brought into the picture earlier. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, it's different if you're already on Medicare. You're over 65? Yeah, that's one. Disabled, um, you know, due to a different disability, not end-stage renal disease, and you start Medicare, and then you become dependent on dialysis, the Medicare started from the original disability, not end-stage renal disease, so you would not lose it after the 36 months after receiving a transplant. I know it's um, interesting to me because a lot of people who end up right at the three years, they say, well, nobody told me about this. And I think it's a combination that 
you know, you need to really start planning a, for your three-year, the 36 months, you know, basically when you're going to lose benefits, you need to start planning for it, you know, six months to a year after your transplant. Like, what is your plan? What are you going to do? I mean, the best option is, you know, ba basically being able to go back to work and to get insurance coverage through the employer. But we all know that that's a little bit more difficult. And it, it really does put people in a difficult situation. Um, I was there back in the 90s. And, you know, my claim to fame was is that uh, I was supposed to, I was looking to get a job with insurance that would cover me, which I luckily did. So, um, but my friend who was gay offered to marry me who had insurance. And I was so upset, you know, like, oh my goodness, I have this kidney. I, I mean, and I was in my twenties and the issue that I think younger people have is that they're not always skilled enough to afford their transplant to go out and get the job that's going to give them great insurance and great pay or something that's going to be, um, you know, risk losing all of your benefits and, you know, what you currently receive. It's it's a really difficult transition. As a transplant social worker, we get to spend a lot of time with the patients at the evaluation phase. We do a full psychosocial evaluation, and it's, usually, it's at that time that we educate our patients. You know, if, you're, if your primary insurance is going to be Medicare, um, and you're on end-stage renal disease, um, your Medicare is due to your end-stage renal disease, and it will end after 36 months, and you have to come up with some kind of a plan of what kind of coverage you're going to have after that time. For a lot of our young patients, they're in school, um, they haven't started working yet. Um, I do really challenge them. They're, after their transplant, they're um, disabled for three months. They're not allowed to work for three months. But after that three-month period, I really challenge them to start getting into some kind of job training or think about what they want to do in the future. And I educate them and remind them that, you know, insurance, Medicare will not last forever. <laughs> it will end after three years. And you will be responsible for um, paying for your medications, your immunosuppressant medications, and, or getting some type of job with benefits. Um, that will help pay for that medication cost because it's very costly and you will need insurance to help help pay for that. Well, I tell my friends to hang out at government functions because if you're going to meet and marry somebody, you should marry somebody with government health insurance. And that's exactly what I did. You know, that's my definition of a real man is what kind of health plan does he have? And my husband had the Prudent Buyer Blue Cross Oh my God, it was so incredible. So um, that's what I tell my friends. But, you know, the interesting thing <laughs> is that, and I run into this a lot as I host a prom every year for teenagers with kidney disease. And one of the things that's difficult for children is that I was on Medicare and stage renal disease program through my father. And I got transplanted. It, it carried over because when I was 18, you know, I was still on dialysis. I didn't get transplanted till, you know, I was 24. So I had Medicare through that whole time. And then I, you know, I got transplanted and then I had three years with Medicare. And then it, you know, I obviously lost the Medicare. I luckily got good insurance through um, a, a, an employer and then I went on to marry my husband later on in life, and, you know, everything has been great. But what happened when I needed another kidney, um, I was married, but if I wasn't married and hadn't played into the, paid into the Medicare program, 
I wouldn't have been eligible for Medicare again. That's correct. And that's what I find with the younger kids. They're on dialysis and, you know, they're on Medicare. They have their transplant at 16, 17. And then, you know, they basically lose their Medicare at 19. And then they go back on dialysis at 22. And they don't qualify for Medicare because they hadn't paid into the system. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand because they think Medicare is an entitlement program for everybody, and it isn't for everybody. You had to have paid into the system. Exactly. And, and the good thing is that Medicare does give you, at the very least, the 36 months. Right. And again, you're disabled for three months. You're not able to work for three months after the transplant. Um, and there are programs like the Department of Rehabilitation that can help you train um, to, they can do tuition reimbursement. Um, if you're interested in some kind of vocation, they can do tra- job training and eventually help you with job searching. And, you know, hopefully, or, you know, what we always recommend is looking for a job that has really good benefits that can help. Um, pay for your medications. And you know what I tell uh, a lot of the friends and people that come to my meetings is that if you're not working and you're basically, you know, you're you're going to dialysis or you think you're going to be transplanted, the most important aspect of staying employable is keeping some kind of skill set up. If that means just working on the computer every day to keep up with the computer skills, networking in the community with to some kind of service organization. So you keep your skills current. Um, and it's more on a volunteer basis, but that interaction with the community, it helps your self-esteem stay, you know, current when you're going out there to look for a job when you, you, you know, you're, you're recovered. And I think, I think a lot of people who are on dialysis, they, they're just trying to cope with what's going on right now. And I can't bring one other thing on my plate. And I certainly understand that. But at the same time, it's, you know, you have to think about the future and making it easier in the future. So if you can commit to doing a couple of those things every week, it'll make the transition easier. Exactly. And yeah, we know, we know it's hard being on dialysis. You're very fatigued and you're just, like you said, coping with, with just that. Um, but we do see a lot of patients on dialysis that are working or doing something that they enjoy and they feel productive and they, they feel better. Um, so then it's not such a big change from going from just being on dialysis to all of a sudden having to be on the workforce and having to have like regular hours and a regular job. We always recommend that you stay productive and having some kind of a regular work schedule or doing something that you enjoy even while on dialysis. A couple of years ago, we did an uh, article in Live and Give that talked about different ways to, you know, find employment. And we talk about the Ticket to Work program, but we also give job suggestions that allow you more freedom in your work schedule. And there's a lot of vocations out there that, you know, you might have to have a doctor's appointment. You can't work a typical nine to five, but maybe you want to be, a, you know, a court reporter and you can be part time. And, you know, should you train for that and different things that you have more flexibility in your schedule. And the ability to work from home. Yeah, work from home or make your own schedule. 
I know a friend of mine sells insurance and she's an agent, so she can really work around her own schedule. And she goes out and networks and, you know, meets people and follows up on the phone and email. And there's a lot of different jobs that you can get that don't require you to be in an office nine to five. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Now, one of the things that I learned is that there's two options when you're going to hit 36 months of transplant. You either have to have a spouse (laughs) that has got great insurance, or you're going to have to find your own insurance. (laughs) Those are the basically the two options because medical care is so expensive. So, you know, you can sign on to Match.com and look at the profile, (laughs) or you're going to have to seek employment to support yourself. And those are the two things that I tell people to do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, you want to be prepared. You don't want to have to be waiting for a transplant, get this amazing gift of life, and then not be able to afford the medications to manage it. Right. And it doesn't, you know, make sense. You know, one of the other things that I think people need to be aware of is that if you're on Medicare and Medi-Cal, Medi-Cal is a state program of California, it's very stringent on what you can make per month. But, you know, you have to, you know, learn because you can make something a month. And if you over exceed that amount, then your benefits can be impacted. Um, You've heard that, right, Lucy? I mean, but the one thing I think is interesting is that Medicare has become more lenient in helping people have that transition period. So I always encourage people, there's the Renal Rehabilitation Center that Medical Education Institute has on their website and they have information on it, but to talk to your representative from Social Security and they can tell you how much you are allowed to make per month without impacting your benefits. Exactly. And it's so important because people think it's all or nothing, but it's better to get back into the workforce even if, you know, you get a Social Security check of maybe 900 a month, let's say, and you work and make $300 a month and even if they deducted that 300 it's worth it to get that experience. Um, and that's what I try to encourage people is really work with your social security office, go in and talk to them. I'm sure they have case managers and, you know, let them know what you intend to do and get the information. And then you'll, you know, information is power because I know a lot of people who've went back to work on a part-time basis and have not lost all their benefits. Yes. I definitely encourage people to speak with their Social Security office, know what that minimum amount um, that they can earn without losing their benefits. And like I said, people that are productive and working, they they feel better um, about themselves. They have more energy. Um, just the interaction, being with other people and interacting with other people is healthier and people feel better. So... Uh, I think also um, the ticket to work. I know there there are programs that try to encourage you to go back to work um, to transition, like you said, from being disabled to getting back into the workforce. Or ticket to work is is one example of that. Um, well, they will encourage you to slowly get back into the workforce, especially if you're coming off of um, being um, having a, t- a disability. I know we did a, a show uh, a year or so ago about the Ticket to Work program, which is on our website. You can search Ticket to Work. 
And we just were contacted by the Ticket to Work organization, and they contacted us because we're going to be doing an interview in a couple of weeks about a gentleman who was on dialysis who went through the Ticket to Work program. So we're going to interview him in the, the upcoming week so he can give some insight on how it worked for him because, you know, sometimes people just get so bogged down and like, oh my goodness, it's just too much. But, you know, you just chip away at it piece by piece and at the end of the day, I mean, I never thought that I would be running an organization. And before I, you know, was president of Renal Support Network, I had a lot of jobs in the community. And in my book, Chronically Happy, I have a whole chapter devoted to what you need to tell an employer and what you don't have to tell an employer. And you need to really be educated about that topic because of the fact that, you know, you don't have to disclose that you have any health issues unless it impacts your job. And I think a lot of people go in and like, oh, I'm on dialysis. And, you know, that's their entry into a job interview. And you really need to learn what to say and what not to say and what you're legally required to say. And, you know, what's the employer is, is it's not their business. So there's a lot to learn. But, um, well, thank you, Lucy, for um, helping us understand some of this topic. And I also want to encourage people that we have kidneyspace.com. It's a bulletin board. And People can post questions because there's a lot of other patients and family members who have experienced this. And, you know, they may be able to share how they went through it because each state works a little bit differently, I know. Or maybe they just don't talk to each other, which is common. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lori, for this opportunity. I, I really appreciate it. And I hope it, it was helpful. Well, thank you, Lucy. I just want to encourage people that, you know, you have to basically, you know, educate yourself before something happens and know your options, and then you'll have more control and won't be out there with no insurance and in risk of losing that incredible gift, you know, a kidney transplant and make sure that you are fully insured and, you know, live life to the fullest. So thank you very much, Lucy. Thanks, Lori. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 